Welcome to BYO Dallas with your host, Drew Hamilton. This is a podcast paying tribute to Big D. Drew brings a guest, the guest brings the Dallas. How? They choose the venue for these somewhat revealing and moderately appealing interviews. Let's get to the who and where on BYO Dallas. Welcome back to BYO Dallas. I am your host, Drew Hamilton, and today we have two special guests with us. First off, Navy SEAL veteran Ryan Parrott, known as The Birdman. He is founder of a cool nonprofit called Bird's Eye View Project, which you'll hear about in just a bit. Ryan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. And also joining us today is Wayne McCullough, president and managing partner of Benchmark Private Wealth Management, an owner of CrossFit, Katie Trail, and a movie producer, a true renaissance man. Wayne, how are you? Very good. Thank you. All Glad right. to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. So let's start with the Bird's Eye View Project. Ryan, you are the founder and the president, so tell us what it is. The Bird's Eye View Project essentially is an independent marketing arm for veteran and first responder charities across the nation. We look at a couple key things in order to highlight these charities, but one, a charity needs funding. Two, a charity needs awareness. And three, a charity needs partnerships. That's the trifecta of a solid charity. So by creating the Bird's Eye View Project, we are able to encapsulate that charity, vet and approve them, put them under our bandwidth, fundraise, doing live events for them, getting their name out there through social media and other avenues, and then also bringing together other organizations to do the same thing for, thus creating the partnerships. It's a really unique marketing uh, opportunity for these charities. Awesome. Wayne, you serve on the board of Bird's Eye View Project, so obviously makes sense to have you guys on together. So how did you find out about it, and what made you want to serve? What made me want to serve was if, if Ryan, a.k.a. Birdman, asked you to do something, you do it. I discovered that shortly. <laughs> uh, a, a mutual friend named Whip Peterman. He's a very good friend of mine, very involved with Carry the Load, which, of course, is a charity that Bird's Eye View Project supports, and Whit introduced me to Ryan and said, you guys will be, well, you'll hit it off. I think you're two peas in a pod. And it was interesting at the time I decided to serve on no more boards and take on no more charitable endeavors. And we had coffee. And I think, you know, a day later you called and asked and I couldn't say no. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And Wit works for a mutual friend as well, Stephen Holly. That's right. With, for Six Sight Gear. And so that kind of tied in as well. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Six Sight. Yeah. Birdman sporting the, uh, sporting the gear today. Yeah. That's right. SixSightGear.com. The show is called BYO Dallas, and the point is for Dallasites to pick a place that's meaningful to them. And let's get to that. Where are we today, and why did you choose this place, Birdman? Well, we are located in Addison, Texas right now, uh, right outside of Dallas at the Kavanaugh Flight Museum. And I thought it would be unique here, as we talked about, what is a veteran influential place or a military influential place? Well, this is the Kavanaugh Flight Museum, and their deal here is they're a charity, number one. And two, they bring warbirds to this area, and they refurbish them to keep them flying, so that if you wanted to take a dream flight in a Caribou or a DC-3 or a P-51 Mustang, here's your opportunity right here at Kavanaugh. And we've been friends with Kavanaugh Flight Museum, in particular the CEO or executive director, Doug Jeans, for several years now. And I thought it would be a real nice testament to do it here and show some love to Kavanaugh Flight Museum. Um, we've actually done a skydive with Kavanaugh about five years ago now and jumped out of their DC-3. So and that being as though we just did a skydive called the Bomb Squad for the Bird's Eye View Project, I thought 
the whole purpose was jumping out of a plane. Here are our planes, old warbirds. You know, and you can check this place out. It's called cavflight.org, C-A-V-flight.org, Cavanaugh Flight Museum. Pretty cool place. Yep, located in Addison, and he just gave you the URL phone number, 972-380-8800, and you can come out here. I came out here before the podcast and took the tour, so a lot of planes out here in the hangars, and very cool sight to see, so make sure you come out here. We're at the Kavanaugh Flight Museum, and you mentioned the bomb squad, so let's bring it back to Bird's Eye View Project. Uh, which one of you wants to set it up because you were both involved? We'll let Birdman, All right. since he created it. Sure. Well, so this particular event started with uh, 10 girls in Dallas that turned into eight girls in Dallas, Texas. Uh, most of these women serve on boards if they don't serve on a charity. Um, and their deal is they fundraise all year long for multiple different organizations. So the woman who spearheaded this thing, Mary Parker, said I wanted to actually, she wanted to go skydiving with me after an event. And I said, absolutely, we should do that. And then she came up with the idea of let's get a couple girls together and we'll raise some money to give back to the charity. And we said, wow, that's a brilliant idea. And so these eight girls were tasked with raising $10,000 a piece in order to make a tandem skydive, their first skydive. And they went at it hard and they raised $130,000. And Bird's Eye View Project is a pass-through charity. So the money that we receive or bring in, we return out to our beneficiaries. It's a really cool deal to actually show where the money's going right away and to be able to take it in and take it out very, very low overhead. Um, So it's very exciting. And then this turned into... Well, the girls called the guys out, and I'm not sure which guys they were specifically calling out, probably <laughs> their husbands at the time, uh, but ultimately I said, you know, I'm going to reach out to all my buddies, all my brothers, and I'm just going to see who wants to do this same type of deal, and we ended up collecting 40 men from Dallas and around the country that wanted to do this, each to raise $10,000 uh, to make their first uh, tandem skydive, if not their second or third. Wow, and Wayne, you were one of the... One of the chosen. I was, yes. So tell us about the experience. Well, and once again, chosen would be the right word because while your body wanted to say no, your mind wouldn't let you because Birdman <laughs> asked. So. Um, tell you about the experience? Yeah. So it was, it was awesome. No other way to put it. One of the awesome things was meeting these other guys that Ryan was talking about that were there. My wife came out for a couple hours. You're sitting at a table talking to two gentlemen. You don't really know who anybody is. And – there was a firefighter there from New York who had been in both um, terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. And then just man after man like that was pretty amazing. Um, some amputees were there that served in war. And then just some business guys that were out there serving in the way they could. So meeting the people there was fascinating. And Birdman said it has an incredible collection of humans in his life. From from business to veterans to first responders, and then the jump itself was that that's I highly encourage anybody to do that. I even talked to I lead a class at church, and I said, you know, do you have that feeling where you're disconnected from God and you just can't, you, you just the antenna's up but nothing's there, and you know everybody's like I feel like that, and I said I got a solution for you, and everybody was on there and said go jump out of an airplane <laughs> because you'll figure out pretty quick. The reality of the statistics are you're going to be just fine, but you are effectively you are going to die until the chute deploys. No other way around it. And so it was it was a fascinating experience. And the the the, the wait the jumping out of the plane was exciting. I was ready to go gung ho, but it's that waiting. We had a five hour wind delay, so there's a lot of pacing up till you have to because once you're in the plane, it's over. I mean, you're going. Yeah. But, it was awesome. Everything about it was awesome. So no trepidation when you got to the edge of the plane? Not, no, not really, no. I was ready to go. 
Was this the first time you ever jumped out of a plane? Correct. Yeah. So what was that like while you're suspended in air? It was great. That I enjoyed the free fall more than any part of it. I think a lot, a lot of people love the deployment and the peacefulness. It was just a surreal minute or so of just this super, just like everything's on um, hyperdrive in your life. So it, the adrenaline rush and jumping out of the plane, I enjoyed that whole part more than really the serene floating down. So it was, um, it, the, but the human body, there was a, the SEAL you introduced me who was there, who was the, the huge guy that mm-hmm. was, he, he, <laughs> he was pretty funny. We started talking, he said, well, you know, one in every 1,700 primary parachutes doesn't deploy. I'm like, oh, thanks. And he goes, you know, really, you're going to, you're committing suicide, basically. I'm <laughs> like, okay, can, let's move on to the positive. <laughs> and he says, but the human body is in pres- preservation mode. So for your first time, especially, you don't really want, the body wants to fight jumping out because there's nothing natural about it. And he is a little right. You start, you want to go, but it's like this, the body is not used to this. But that jump, once you do it, was it's freeing in a lot of ways. Right, so it, I I thought it was awesome, awesome, and where we did it was world class. They made us very very comfortable. Uh, skydive Spaceland Dallas, correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And they, it, I wouldn't want to go to one of these places. I see off I thirty five with the sign falling down. Right? They <laughs> they, they <laughs> you can just tell it's a it's a top notch organization. That's right. Birdman, it's got to give you a good feeling that you've got to be doing something meaningful for people to support it, get behind and rally it the way they have. I'm absolutely blown away. You know, and Wayne said earlier that I'm very, very blessed in my life to have so many incredible people. Um, but we're all the same, you know, whether veteran or first responder or, you know, a businessman or a woman, uh, we're all the same makeup, you know, so we just, everybody yearns to give back. They just need to have an, a, a way to do it essentially. So we're giving them the opportunity with these unique experiences to check something off your bucket list, but know that you're earning it. You know, to jump out of a plane is not regular. So to put your fear aside for veterans and first responders who have been so injured in this war in their job uh, really shows a testament to how much they care about giving back and making sure that they come back and they know we care. So that just blows my mind. And then the unique piece of this is that everybody on the team went out to push their link uh, to tell everybody what they're doing and tell everybody about these organizations. So that huge spiderweb effect of people getting to know these organizations, either through Bird's Eye View Project or through other avenues, through Wayne McCullough, um, through any of our other jumpers, it's just pushed it out. There's so many dynamic things that have happened here, and then the friendships that are created through this this organization and the events we provide um, are lifelong. So it's incredible. All right, so you were you grew up in Detroit, and then you ended up in Dallas. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll cover the years in between, but how did you get to Dallas? What made you come here and what makes you stay? Yeah, an interesting, uh, interesting guy named Victor Lattimore. He owned Lattimore Materials Company. Um, I met him out in San Diego when I was still in the service. And he said, if you ever think about getting out, you know, you got a job with me. And I decided to get out in 2010, and I moved to Dallas on a whim just to take a job. And because what I did know about Dallas, and in particular in Texas, is that it's a very patriotic state, a very easy place for a veteran to come out of service and reintegrate into society and feel the love. Uh, so I wanted to be around that because you just don't know what obstacles you're going to face in the future. And I certainly didn't know anything about business or anything in particular besides, you know, war. So I moved out here on a whim and started a job in security and 
worked for a while and that's when I started an organization called Sons of the Flag out here and ever since then the rest has been history you know being able to meet so many unique people um, meeting my wife here now we have a one-year-old son and life just keeps getting better and better and uh, it's harder and harder with uh, the son (laughs) (laughs) but ultimately it's um, Texas has offered me so much more than I probably could have had anywhere else in the country or the world and um, I'm huge on Texas now. Awesome. So as we mentioned, you were a Navy SEAL. How did you get into that? And can we talk a little bit about your service? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's all classified, but you can read it all in my book. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> so. <laughs> Soon to be released. That's right. Movie. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So in high school in Michigan, I was just, I tell this all the time, I was an absolute failure in, in school. I, every subject in school, I was failing miserably. Um I actually do have a book called Sons of the Flag uh, that you can get on Amazon, but it's about soldiers from different wars and their idea of why we serve in in the war, why we serve in the military. And I put a picture of the report card or progress report in there, and it's just horrible. I had no motivation to do anything in life, and I just wanted to play ice hockey. I thought I was going to be a professional hockey player. was not nearly good enough to do that. But a teacher who was a Marine in Vietnam, who was my motivational psychology teacher, stood up in front of the class and said, there's only one thing better than the Marines, and that's the U.S. Navy SEALs. Now, back then, we didn't have a whole lot of books on Navy SEALs. There wasn't a dummies, Navy SEALs for dummies book <laughs> or any of that stuff. Or you couldn't sign up online and get your certificate. Um, it was him talking about how Navy SEALs live on the moon and they breathe water and all this crazy stuff that we totally don't do. But it was so fascinating to hear that there was something, something so elite. And I don't personally believe that him being a Marine believes that the SEALs are better than the Marines. But... Ultimately, I wanted to do that instantly because I, I, I yearned to do something elite. I think we all yearn to do something that's elite or out of our comfort zone to see if we got inside what it takes. And uh, so right then and there, I stood after class, and he got me a Reader's Digest magazine on this one called The Making of an American Warrior. Um, and I read through it, and I couldn't put it down. And really, the rest is history. I was in the YMCA every day after school, swimming, running, doing calisthenics, working out. Um, I got my grades up to A's and B's and graduated and then I set up for the Navy and you know I was but really what changed everything and really sent me 100 miles in that direction was 9-11. 9-11 was everything. I was sitting in school. I watched the second tower implode and I got up out of class right there and then I went to the recruiter station and tried to join. I was just too young to do it at the time uh, but months later I would sign up and then I got my opportunity uh, in 2003 to go to BUDS, or Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training, and I was very blessed to make it through the program um, with Class 246, and then I was assigned to SEAL Team 7, Alpha Platoon, and the, my duration in the, or my career of eight years, I served all at SEAL Team 7, uh, just before going to Advanced Training Command as an instructor before getting out, so it was incredible, 2002 to 10 um, were incredible years. We joke about it all the time that I didn't do the high, or the college things. I didn't get to do all the goofy stuff you do in the college days. I was overseas fighting and trying to fight the war and doing my best. Uh, but well, don't don't worry, Wayne took care of that for you. Yeah, I am all about <laughs> it. Just tell me the stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of stories, real quick, last time we were together, you told me the story that you actually showed up. You were at Hell Week, and there was a moment where you realized, you know what, I am gonna make it. Do you mind sharing that again? Yeah. Well, I mean. I didn't at that point in time realize I was going to make it, but I thought mm, now I think I got a handle on it. 
So I showed up in Wednesday night at Hell Week. Hell Week is a week long where it's just cold, wet, tired, miserable. It's the hardest week we have physically in SEAL training, and it really weeds out the week and shows you, okay, you either got what it takes or you don't. Um, ultimately, I showed up when the cl two classes before me were going through Hell Week on their Wednesday night, so I could smell them before I could see them. <laughs> they were just down to a, a bucket full of guys, and they were all, you know, thousand-yard stare, dirt all over their face, exhausted. You could tell that these men had been through the ringer, and they still were going. And I was so fascinated by that. Just do I got what that what it takes? Do I have that in me, that spark? Which I always say that spark. What drives you to get to that place you've never been before? And then these guys run by me one by one with that thousand-yard stare. Nobody paid any mind to us standing there, newbies. And then the last guy just turns his head, looks at me, and sticks his tongue out and smiles. And I'm like, wow, that guy's got, he's still got an attitude. He's still got that excitement in him. And he just showed me that he's still the human being, not this crazy, I don't even know what it is type of person. He's an American. And that smile and that tongue out made me laugh. And then I said, okay, if he's got that in him still after this time, maybe I got that too. So, had I not seen that though, <laughs> might have been another story. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then your nickname, Birdman. How'd you get the nickname? Yeah, I uh, got the nickname from another teammate. Um, <clears throat> 2005, we were on. I was on my first deployment to Iraq, and we were stationed in Habania, and just coming back from a routine deal, and uh, that routine deal turned into a pretty bad deal really quickly. We were driving down Route Michigan, coming back to base, and our Hummer was struck by a roadside bomb or an IED, uh, an improvised explosive device, and they're so violent, they're so fast, they're so deadly, and you just you just pray that you don't ever come near one because when it happens, it happens so fast and bad. Ultimately, it struck the front of our Hummer, blew off the front axle, um, blew part of the front of the Hummer off completely, and that's an armored Hummer, and uh, sent me straight out of the turret, which is the gunner's hatch up top of the Hummer, into the sky, and, you know, there's jokes. Yeah, I went flying 60 feet, 100 feet, 1,000 feet, whatever. No, I actually just blew up straight on top, landed on the turret and then rolled myself off onto the ground um, sustained first degree burns on my face and hands and uh, everybody else in the Hummer was injured far worse than I was but because I went flying I got Birdman which was definitely an upgrade for a new guy because before that there were two new guys in the platoon and I was soup and he was sandwich so to become Birdman was a pretty iconic thing for me and it just it never it, since then and I think it'll always be it's just what it is so, yeah, I got to say, Wayne, he wins the nickname Wayno yeah. Birdman. I, th I think I'd go with Birdman. <laughs> but you have to tell the story because until I knew the story, I thought it was because your last name was Parrot. It's perfectly fine. You know, right. if, I, if I don't really feel like telling the story for that particular day, I'm like, my last name's Parrot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I fly wingsuits, whatever. <laughs> I might throw soup out every once in a while. Bring it. Yeah. Bring it on. All right, so Wayne, back to you. What mm -hmm. What's your Dallas story? You grew up here? Very challenging upbringing. Grew up right in the center of <laughs> Dallas. Um, <laughs> then I went to Austin, and then I came back to Dallas. No, I, I have a real affinity for this town. I really do. I'm very loyal to Dallas. I'm very loyal to Texas. And I, and I really, my sister-in-law said, what's the deal with your craziness? I, I think this town is way underrated. It's It's underrated from being pretentious. People call it that. Um, it's flat. There's nothing to do. You know, give me Denver, Austin. It's this, I, the, their people, of course there are segments of truth to all that, but the, there's no more caring, giving and kind people in Dallas, Texas. 
I mean, I think you could attest to it. Veterans are pouring into this city, really, and state because people are willing to do things I agree, for them. Hundred percent. I mean, and that 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 just didn't go to veterans. I mean, I can pick up the phone and call ten people and get things done, right? I mean, the philanthropic giving in this town is epic, right? I mean, even what's happening in the Arts Center. Um, there was an article in the Times not long ago about how is Dallas outpacing everybody in the Arts Center. But so, but the, the story of me is I, I grew up born and raised here. My mom was from Fort Worth. My dad's from this tiny town called Gulfway, Texas. And so, but they met in Baylor and then proceeded. They actually met earlier in life. But so I ended up here, grew up in, in Dallas, did go to the University of Texas. And then I actually went to D.C. for a while. And worked for Congressman Sam Johnson, who is a who is a war hero, who was in Hotel Hanoi for seven years, and Sam gave me some perspective. He and he's one of the good guys up there, right? He's he's up there for the right reasons. He was a fighter pilot. He was shot down in the early days when we were on exploratory missions, um, and so Sam gave me some perspective on what it's like to really serve the country. It is a um, is a soldier and really a servant of the citizens, and then I came back to Dallas and have been here ever since. Okay, so let's get back to Sons of the Flag. You've mentioned that. What is it, and why'd you start that? Sons of the Flag, simply put, it's an organization or a charity uh, supporting burned veteran and first responders. So we support veterans, first responders, and their families who have been burned. Um, It's an injury that's overlooked in the medical community, and in particular in a tactical environment. You know, when we see a lot of injuries coming back from the war, we see a lot of gunshot wounds. We see a lot of blast wounds and amputations. But there's a lot of burns that coincide with a blast wound. Uh, but that takes a second seat to the underlying injury because you can bleed out a lot faster than being burned and then recovering. So they want to you know, tailor to what's going to kill you first, and then they'll fix the other things. But a burn is an injury that is not you go to the doctor and get a flu shot and you're solid. A burn, a severe burn injury will last you an entire lifetime, and it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your entire family. Why I started Sons of the Flag was simple. I met an Army Ranger who was severely burned in the war. And you think about going in front of the mirror every day to put on your best game face for the work day. And you got to shave and do your hair and you got to suit up and look good and make sure that you're presentable. Well, you don't have those luxuries when you've been disfigured. And now you have to learn how to live that new identity. And you have to start to believe in your new identity. And when I looked at this and started doing research on it, I found that we're so far behind the power curve in burn care. It's not that the doctors aren't putting the effort in. It's just that there's a lack of these burn surgeons that do reconstructive surgery. There's a lack of funding that goes into this particular area in the medical community. And nothing's really changed since the Vietnam era. And I don't ever want to hear a veteran or soldier come back to me and say that this is as good as it gets for me. We're the USA. We are the best there is. We can do far better. Uh, so we just need to shed some light on this and really get behind it and support it. So I've run Sons of the Flag. We started in January 2002, uh, 2012. We're just over five years old, um, and we're growing every year, which is incredible. We're crossing the states right now. And when I started this for veterans, I didn't realize that this really attacks first responders on a higher level. And so we opened it up to first responders, and that's really what we do now is for veterans, first responders, and their families who have been injured uh, through a burn injury. And Sons of the Flag, the title was unique. It's a poem written in World War I based off the Civil War talks about the North and the South fighting against each other and then coming together under one flag under the United States of America under God. And I thought that was really cool because the symbolization is we're bringing burn patients to incredible burn surgeons. We're, br- we're doing the same thing they said back in World War I about the Civil War. 
um, just in burns. So started Sons of the Flag, and that tailored me five years later into starting Bird's Eye View because a burn injury is a, it's a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard topic to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about things that are hard or sad. You know, you kind of want to turn a shoulder to it and just believe it's not there. Um, but we like fighting. We like working hard. I mean, that's what I learned in the Special Forces or Special Operations is that I have to work hard in order to get to where I want to go. It's not just going to come. Well, these patients are sitting there every day hiding, not wanting to be, they're, they're recluses essentially, or they're just sitting in their home wondering what's next for me. We're out there on the front lines answering those questions for them. All right, and Bird's Eye View Project supports Sons of the Flag. It also supports seven other charities. You want to mention those while we're here? That's correct, yeah. Sons of the Flag is one of the beneficiaries, and we're particular to Burns. And then each one of the other organizations are particular to a certain injury or a certain genre. So we have America's Mighty Warriors, started by Debbie Lee, the mother of Mark Lee, who was the first Navy SEAL killed in the Iraq War. And her purpose as America's Mighty Warriors is to honor Mark Lee by hosting retreats for Gold Star families. Um, in particular, she does a retreat for Gold Star Special Operations families, and then she does a retreat for military-wide. Um, and she does do both of these retreats in Texas, you know, just to show you a testament to how much Texas supports our veteran community. What, um, what's a Gold Star family, for those that don't know? A Gold Star family is a family who, have lo- who has lost a service member in this war or a war period. So if you went overseas and you're li- you gave your life for this country, um, your family would be considered a Gold Star family. So that's America's Mighty Warriors. And you can go to birdseyeviewproject.org to see every one of the charities. And there's a link to each one of these charities. And I encourage you all to go select on these charities specifically and look through them to understand. Because you, by looking at that and knowing them, could send somebody there to change their life forever. So that's what we want. The most thing we want out of this is the awareness campaign for these charities. Well, I want to compliment you as well because not only do you just have links to send people away from Bird's Eye View to find out is you've got embedded YouTube videos. So just right there on Bird's Eye View, you can watch videos about each one of these charities. So it's awesome. Yeah, we try to be efficient. And, and now that I have five years into the charity world, we're starting <laughs> to get better at this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We've got another organization called uh, the Rosecrans Florian Program. The Rosecrans, it's mental health, substance abuse issues. Um, particularly, they created the Florian Program for firefighters. You know, there's a big... We always talk about veteran suicide, and we never really publicly touch on the fact that first responders have the same epidemic going on. Mm -hmm. They see, if not the same, more injury on a daily basis being in the EMS truck, seeing these uh, wrecks out on, you know, the roads. And so the Florian program really sheds light on substance abuse and mental health issues for first responders. They're based out of Chicago, an incredible organization. We have Carry the Load, which is based in Dallas, Texas, started by Navy SEAL Stephen Holly. Great guy. And uh, Carry the Load is to bring back the meaning of Memorial Day. Um, and they do something further than that. They realize that while bringing back the nature of what Memorial Day really is versus a barbecue, hanging out, drinking beer, whatever it may be, to how you celebrate, it's really telling the story and then bringing charities into the mix to support them, like Bird's Eye View. So what they do is they bring beneficiaries in as well, and we collect donations and then we push them out to these organizations that carry the load support. So they're essentially a pass-through as well, uh, but they're incredible. They're really the, the leaders in Dallas of doing the pass-through organization and getting the awareness around Memorial Day and giving back to the community. Incredible, incredible organization. We have Adaptive Training Foundation started by David Vobora, who played in the NFL as a linebacker. Uh, great guy, and he saw a need to help 
veterans coming out of the service with injuries specific to amputees. That's why they call it Adaptive Training Foundation. And they're empowering these veterans to, you know, go past their injuries, get back in the gym, go through their workout program. I believe it's nine weeks where they go through a workout regimen and get them healthy, get them motivated and inspired to get back to their life. And they redefine their life. So they're doing incredible things and they're located in Dallas as well. We also have Rebuilding Warriors, which is a very unique organization based out of California. They will be moving to Texas. Um, it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, but the idea is this man named Jeff Anderson brought it about himself. He was years in the law enforcement and decided that he wanted to give a veteran, an honorably discharged veteran, a service dog. And so what his organization does now is they do deliver service, um, service dogs to honorably discharged veterans at no cost. And they train these dogs over a two-year period specific to the injury of the veteran. So a dog could be specific to PTSD or amputation or burns or whatever it may be. They train that dog specific to that veteran because they know the lifespan of that dog is going to be with that particular veteran. And if you've ever seen a dog, a canine that's trained with their companion, it, it opens them up and it gets them back into life and living their life. So Was that him at the jump? That's right. Yeah, and then he had a, what do you call a comfort dog there? Uh-huh. And it, it, honestly, because there were some guys with severe anxiety there, and I don't blame them. They were jumping on <laughs> plane. And that dog just spending time with it and petting it, and it laid its head in your lap. And it really was pretty – it's interesting how it's a companion dog, and it makes you just really good. That's right. Yeah. Uh, multiple charities that were supporting another one, 22 Kill. A lot of people out there in the country have heard about 22 Kill. The average – on an average per day, 22 veterans are taking their life to suicide. And it's an epidemic, and they're on the forefront of fighting that. So they're an awareness campaign to get out there. They're not just an awareness campaign. That's how they started out as an awareness campaign to say, we need to combat this problem. And so we need to get veterans talking about it. We need to get them in the right treatment facilities and clinics. So 22 Kill spreads awareness through their honor ring that we wear on our index finger, our trigger finger, mm -hmm. to identify veterans and identify people who support veterans, number one, and two, to honor 22 Kill. Um, and then two, to do the 22 push-up challenge that everybody's been doing viral on social media to get the campaign out there but ultimately they raise funds as well so they can push it out to their beneficiaries that are mostly mental health substance abuse and um, counseling for these veterans through many different organizations you can go to their organization uh, their website and see all the organizations they're partnered with to really give the resources these veterans need very very interesting stuff and then last but not least is base camp 40 organization out of colorado an incredible organization because one thing that veterans seek is we love to be out in the field and that field can be anything from hunting to just being out in nature fishing whatever it may be or just standing on a mountain climbing hiking being out in nature i think is what we all yearn to do we're also in tune with working on a daily basis that we don't really get to enjoy what this mother nature has created for us and i'm not talking about hurricane harvey i'm talking about the beautiful side of mother nature and so Base Camp 40 brings veterans out in the field to do hunting and fishing, exquisite hunting and fishing trips. It's just get them back out in the wild and uh, to get them in nature. So it's a really cool deal created by a gentleman named Paul Bristol. Uh, they're out of Colorado, and they do retreats all across the country. So we're very, very lucky to be partnered with these organizations. And our idea was we took a look at 50 different charities, roughly. Wow. And then we said, okay, we're going to send them off to an independent group that's going to look through the financials and then basically audit them, really vet them and approve them because we didn't want to just say, oh, yeah, we checked them out. They're good. We had it done by professionals, and they brought us back a list. And then out of that list, we dumbed it down to, t uh, to 10 to 8. 
and then we started with eight because we wanted to say if we make a significant impact fundraising this year, we can deliver some pretty powerful checks to these organizations. And with not having 50 organizations to give money to, we're giving them a significant amount of money each, which is really <coughs> going to empower them to stay, take their game to the next level. So that's our goal is we stay small, we bring new charities in every so often to support, and then we fundraise our butts off so that we can bring them a really powerful check to see what they can do with uh, an extra infusion of capital. Very cool. All right, back to you, Wayne. Your day job is private wealth management, but mm -hmm. you are also an owner of CrossFit Katie Trail, and at the risk of turning off part of the audience as we dive into a brief amount of CrossFit talk. Yeah, I get uh, it. <laughs> so what I really like about CrossFit is just, and why it's tied to this interview, I believe, is that what's pretty cool is a lot of the workouts are named after veterans. So just tell us how you got involved in CrossFit and what that experience is like. Okay, so I'd worked at, I'd worked at a gym called CrossFit Dallas Central over on, at the time, uh, Gosh, what is it? Fondren? Fondren, yeah. They were on Fondren at the time, yeah. And a great group of guys. I'd actually discovered I was on a beach trip in Florida, and a buddy kept emailing saying, have you ever seen this? these workouts people are doing? And people were doing them in the garage. I said, no idea. He said, well, they opened up one of these in Dallas. So I got back. He took me to one of the workouts. I took a buddy named Stuart Campbell. And they said it was going to be 25 minutes. And all I can tell you is after – I don't remember the workout. I remember it was 23 degrees out. And when the workout was over, I laid on the ground. And you know how you hold on to the ground because the whole <laughs> world was spinning. And I just thought, what just happened? And I'd been, I'd been an endurance runner at that time. Ended up becoming a further endurance runner later. But thought I was in shape till I did that. But it really attracted me that you could get that kind of workout in kind of a 20 to 30-minute window. And then you look around and you see what the people look like. And you start thinking, okay, something might be working. Then you delve into – is modern fitness even working, right? The big box gyms, the Globo gyms have just tricked people. Go in, get your 40 minutes on the pre-court, it's all going to be good, and watch your TV and put your headsets on. When fitness was all about community originally. So I really fell in love with it. Um, I fell in love with the camaraderie, the brotherhood. I mean, it has very big military influences. I mean, the SEALs have been doing this stuff since the – really, that's somewhat of it was based out of Glassman will tell you that. Right, because all the all the early CrossFits were in California near, near Coronado Beach, and right, they were operating. Once they became gyms outside of garages, they were operating out of rail cars. But I was just so attracted to what it did. But really, the community more than anything, right? Spirit, mind, body, and soul, and it's a way to almost combine all those. So, the to, to Reader's Digest version is me and some other guys with the blessing of the the owners of that gym. They invested with us, and we started our own gym called CrossFit Katy Trail which was, was on the Katy Trail. The name's now CrossFit <laughs> KT because they were tearing our building down. So we've now moved to Preston Center in Dallas. But it's been, as a matter of fact, our five-year anniversary party is tomorrow. Very nice. And so really it was a glimmer in my eye. I was running down the trail one day with a good friend, Jarek Kovics, and we um, spotted the – the gym was called CrossFit Uptown at the time, and they were closing. And I said, somebody needs to put one by the trail now, you know, quickly before another one comes up, and that began it. And then got with my current partners and launched it. So I, I should say I'm one of the owners. And then our majority owner is a guy named Joe Ramazdan who runs the gym on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's the friendships I've made, it, it's probably how you feel in the military. It's, you know, it's oddly through this ridiculous workout program, I have lifelong close friends. I mean, there's a text thread with about 32 of us on it. 
It's called Beyond the Whiteboard. And we, I mean, there must be 100 texts a day on that thing. <laughs> now we're talking about life because we're doing life together. But it's that experience of really grinding yourself through that with somebody else. All right, so have you and Birdman had the pleasure of competing against each other in any CrossFit workouts? No. Who would who would win Murph between you two? Oh, he'd kill me, I'm sure. I'll tell you right now, physically, Wayne would kick my butt right now. Mentally, I think I'd step it up, yeah. and I would try <laughs> to beat him. And if I had the chance to beat him, I would suffer tremendously in the back end. <laughs> well, you're kind. No, uh, it's true. Murph is one of my favorite workouts. But, yeah, the hero workouts are special. It's you know, the system, the, the program works. I mean, there, there's no question about it. Right, the reason it's the fastest growing fitness movement since really the inception of fitness in a long time is that it transforms people mentally and physically. And you, you have to be careful. I mean, you need to know what you're doing. You need good instructors. You need good gyms. You need to scale your workouts accordingly. The biggest misnomer is that people get hurt. Yeah, how do you fight that stigma? People get hurt because they do stupid things, right? They they let their ego take over. I don't care what the 21-year-old is doing next to me anymore. Somebody asked me just two days ago what, what my goal of any workout was, and I said the next one. And they just sat there. They said, I have no idea what that means. I said, I've been doing this eight years effectively without being injured. Not many people, almost 10 years, actually. Not many people can say that. I mean, there's there's been anything you do repetitively, you'll have an injury. If you play golf seven days a week, right. your shoulder or something's going to hurt eventually. But you just fight it by go to the right gym, get the right programming, and scale yourself accordingly. Right. So if you if you can't if you shouldn't be doing kip up kipping pull ups, which is a movement to kip you, you know what it is. If you can't do five strict pull ups, if you don't have the upper body strength to even do five strict pull ups, and you shouldn't be doing kipping pull ups. I mean, if you try to game the system, you're going to end up getting hurt. So, and our gym is, um, we're very cognizant of age and injuries and properly warming up. So, All right. Well, you mentioned that you became an endurance athlete, and mm -hmm. we talked about carry the load earlier. So, I want Birdman to tell the story, and I'm wondering, <laughs> Wayne, have you ever run from Waco to Dallas? I have not. All right. And Bird I wouldn't do it in the summer if I did it. <laughs> Birdman, tell us that story. You know, it's I, I truly believe that if I say I want to do something, the first way I got to get after it is just to go do it. You know, I'm. it's hard to influence people to give you money that they make on a daily basis because it is their hard-earned money. So I have to show them that I care and that I mean business. You know, I'm not going to just go out there and show up to carry the load as a beneficiary and say, thank you for a donation. I appreciate you. We're going to do great with it. Now, I want to bring as much money as I can to carry the load and to support the organization to get their name out there because they're doing incredible things. So the idea was they walk the trail every year. They do a national relay, and they do a local relay or a, a local march. And the national relay goes from both sides of the country all the way down, so from New York and then from Washington all the way down to Dallas. It's a 30-day deal all the way coming up to Memorial Day, and then they host the 20-plus-hour Memorial March on the day before Memorial Day, closing down on Memorial Day uh, at Rivershine Park in Dallas. And uh, it's really, really just a great time. I encourage everybody to go to it to really understand more about the meaning of Memorial Day and also just to give back and learn that there are charities fighting on the front lines for our veterans and first responders. So the idea for me a couple years into it was saying, you know, I think I could get more publicity 
doing something outside of the purview of walking the trail for this organization. I'm going to go run 100 miles straight in 24 hours. Um, and, you know, it wasn't just it, – it simply put, it was that, that just about that thought out. That's it. But then I actually <laughs> brought a coach in who actually helped me to look at, you know, the physiology of my body. We did a testing, and then I had a training regimen for a couple months, about two and a half months of training at White Rock Lake all the time. And if you decide you want to do a 100-mile run, I just say, you know, think twice about doing it before you do it because it's a long, hard process. And what you really need to understand is two things. One, it's forward accelerated motion. So it's one foot in front of the other continually, um, and everything has an end to it. So know that there will be an end. It's like seal training. There will be an end to it. Just stick with it. Two, you're going to hit walls. And so you just have to keep gunning it out. And your training regimen has to be very, very difficult because you have to learn how to run under pain. Because past 50 miles, you're going to be in excruciating pain, and you're going to hit walls, and it just keeps bottling up, getting harder and harder. But like I said, there's always going to be an end. But what makes you get through it for real is doing it for a cause greater than yourself. And so I knew that no matter how bad it was supposed to get, and there were awesome checkpoints along the way that had incredible people. Mama Lee or Debbie Lee from America's Mighty Warriors surprised me at the tour bus. The guy that I started Sons of the Flag for, Captain Sam Brown, showed up and ran some miles with me. I mean, it's just incredible to see all the first responders, the fire trucks in front and back of us, the police cars. You know, usually I'm running away from cop cars, not running with them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it was just an incredible, you know, just display of how many people cared to get involved with something. And, you know, I was pushing myself to see if I had what it takes to do it. You know, typically what they say you train for a 10-minute mile, and if you run a 10-minute mile straight for 24 hours, you'll hit 100 miles. That's a lot. So you take it in little sections and you put it together correctly. And our goal is we called it 100 for 100, raise $100,000 for carry the load for 100 miles run. I never figured out what exactly we got to, but I know we raised uh, quite a bit of money for carry the load. So we won, you know, we won. And that's what we continue to do. So by saying I'm going to go out and do it and then just following through with it, you create waves and then people get inspired to want to do other things. And then I've watched several of my friends go out and do incredibly pioneering things in the nature of charity. And that's what it's for. We're not trying to become YouTube sensations here. Uh, we're not trying to get paid to be professional runners or skydivers or whatnot. We are doing it all for a cause greater than ourselves. Well, it's funny. Birdman caught on to something that I've never really even thought about. You know, when you do something a little more extreme, you can raise more money, right? If you rappel with the dog off the Jumbotron, you're going to have 100,000 people watch it and give money. Because I ran a race, a long race from uh, – from Crusher Butte to Aspen, but I did that race solely for the idea. I raised a bunch of money for the Seldom Ship Club and um, for some other organizations, but it caught people's attention because it's not, not that there's anything wrong with running a 5K, but you get all those emails and right. you just get inundated with them. So if you step out of the box, how do you, you differentiate? Know, yeah, people say, okay, now hold on. I'll, I'll give to that and I'll give, you know, a significant number rather than 25 or $50. Mm -hmm. And that's really where you've ended up with this. That's right. I mean, the bigger you go, the more results you're going to get. And you just, I didn't plan the end state of that out. So after the donation happened and the run was over, I had to go back and run my charity and I really couldn't sit straight for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, that's what we do. Every one of us yearns to do something greater than ourselves for something greater than ourselves. And so here's a, a great avenue through the Birds of View Project to accomplish both. That is awesome. All right, back to you, Renaissance man. You are mm -hmm. now in the movie business, <laughs> and you have a movie out now. You're executive producer of a film called Heart of Man, so tell Correct. us about that. 
So uh, th- that story can take a long time, so I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I mean, the film is, is basically addressing human brokenness, and I'd say really addiction, but it, this this addresses sexual brokenness in the sense of people that have been abused or addiction to pornography or even infidelity. But the beauty of the film is it's a grace-based standpoint, right? So everybody deserves the grace, and that that brokenness is actually is, is a bridge to God as opposed to barrier. So most people feel so dirty inside, they're torn up. I cannot, no way I can speak with the community, with the creator of the universe. But the beauty of it, that is actually, what if that, what if you're looking at it all wrong? you got to flip that around. Your strength is right there because God's going to reach you. He can't get to you without being broken, right? And so I actually use a kind of war vernacular, which is I always look at it as, there's a bunch of men down on Omaha Beach, and they're just completely blown up, and their guts are hanging out it, because of all this, you know, abuse they've been through or they've done. And we're running down there, and I'm running down there to pick them up and help them. But my guts are hanging out too, right? So they can see authenticity and transparency, and that you know, let's be real. We all need to help each other. So the film is a what you'd call a docudrama. It's it's about half narrative and half documentary. And we bring specialists. William Paul Young's on it, who wrote The Shack. And I thought he was just an exceptional author. It's an incredible book. I encourage anybody to read it that hadn't. But William Paul Young talks about the abuse that he went through as a child, the sexual abuse. And as Dan Allender said, unfortunately, the ROI on abuse is epic. It's it's like the perfect sin because it destroys the abused. And it, they're tortured for a lifetime. And then it turns into addiction it turns into maybe they abuse. It turns into, you know, self-inflicted pain. I mean, it's a, it, it, at the root of a lot of what's wrong is, is really a lot of this abuse. But so our film really addresses that, how to get it out, how to address it, what God really has to say. I grew up in the church, and, you know, fire and brimstone and condemnation hadn't seemed to work, right? <laughs> Uh, but that's what was taught for a long time. You know, I was a Baptist, so you know where that went. And I loved the church. I actually really, really loved my church. But it didn't work. I mean, you got to operate from a place of grace. And so I got to this. Was Lizzie's little sister was working for a charity called New Hope. You got him, Noel Boucher runs. So I think you've met yep. Noel, of course. And Noel's brilliant. Her little sister sent me a clip, a grainy three-and-a-half-minute video that a guy named Tony, Tony Anderson made who lives in Kentucky. And it was basically addressing human sexual trafficking. But the video, the way it was shot, it had some animation in it, the music. I sat at my computer for five minutes and didn't talk. I was by myself at my office. I watched it one night about 7 o'clock. I had saved her email for three months. She was long gone from the charity. I called. I just scrolled down the email as fast as I could, called this Noel Boucher guy who was on there and said, you don't know me, but that movie needs to get made. And... That was the beginning, and I said, and I think I said the 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 you know the crossroads come through Dallas. Once again, going back to because we can get things done here, and I go five guys, one who's a very close friend of both of ours that I can call, and you know he was going to write a check if it means a lot and if it's going to build build the kingdom. So that began at least in Dallas. This started to happen through other cities, but then I had the creative artists Tony Anderson, Eric Esau, and uh, Jason Pamer come, and I met these guys and said. The, the mohawks, earrings, funky clothes, and the way they spoke, I just said, hold on, I have never heard Christians speak like this in my life. I said, "Just, I need you to keep everything you just said, and we're going to go around town and repeat this. And I just took these three kids around town, I mean, 26, 27, and 
you know, we raised a lot of money fast. And so ultimately raised $1.2 million and got the film made in the can, released last month in 600 theaters and sold out every theater. And so we are re-releasing October 17th in theaters again, which is highly unusual for our distributor to pick you back up and bring you back out. So it's been an incredible story. And, and it's not about me. It's really about, I mean, I'm so passionate about, you know, really helping men at the end of the day. Although the film is for, for men and women, make that clear. But for me in particular, I've always had a passion for that. Congratulations on yeah, thank you. getting it released. Heartofmanmovie.com Correct. for more information. And second release is again October 17th. All right. Go buy tickets. Awesome. <laughs> All right, back to you, Ryan. We are at Kavanaugh Flight Museum. So you told me a couple stories before we started recording. One was, let's talk about the Red Baron in there. Well, let me first start out by saying that I am not a pilot, so anything I talk about is either through the thought process from hearing it from somebody else or actually talking to the executive director here at Kavanaugh. But they have planes in here that date back all the way through World War II that still are functional. In particular, there's a couple birds that have these guns on them. They're gunships, right? And back in the day, you know, if you look at the new new jets out there today, everything is automated, everything is electronic. And I'm not saying that pilots are not exquisite. They're probably, by definition, more efficient pilots than we've ever had, more, you know, s- smarter pilots, more efficient, however you want to state it. But back in the day... Everything was mechanical, everything was manual, and you really had to understand and hone in on your craft to be a solid pilot. Well, when you have these warbirds here, you've got a single-seater, but you've also got a gun on it. So not only are you flying the plane, but you know, a twin-wing or a double-wing plane, but you have also, also have a gun on it that you have to shoot. So think about having the pitch that you have to put it in the right position, fire that gun accurately, and then still not get killed doing it and running your plane <laughs> into the ground. So there's so many things going on ultimately where it's just the senses were always there. It's incredible. One gun or one plane in particular in there has a gun that actually is behind the propeller. And so they figured out back in the day how to, with I guess an algorithm or a mechanical device to make the gun actually shoot through the propeller and not touch the propeller as the propeller's passing back and forth at the supersonic speed it's moving, and it still goes through the propeller and engages the target without hitting the propeller. So it, mind-boggling. Remember, I'm a failure in high school. Don't really know anything about math <laughs> or that, and I'm <laughs> listening to this saying there's no way in heck, but it is built. So, uh, I mean, I would not want to do anything in that plane without a parachute for sure, and that's not me loving a skydiving. That's just pure fear. But... There's so many incredible warbirds here that are unique and different between those birds right there to the DC-3 they have, uh, to the P- P-51 Mustang, to the Caribou, uh, to the MASH helicopter. I mean, there's so many different things they have here, and it's in- it's really cool to see, you know, through generations where we've gone, where we've taken this, you know. I mean, these super, just supernatural jets we have today are so sophisticated it's mind-boggling that we all started there, but, you know, what an incredible deal to learn our past and our history. Yeah, let me comment on that because this goes back to everybody thinks there's nothing to do. And every when my kids are little, every Saturday I'm like, can we find something to do for the love of God? <laughs> Definitely bring your, you know, five, seven, eight, ten-year-old kid out here and look at this. I mean, it's a, I didn't even – I'll be completely honest and no offense to Kavanaugh. I heard – I didn't even know where it was or – so I'm so glad to be out here and see it. And I don't want to be remiss, and, and I hate to show a picture, but – this is worth noting. That's the picture I put on my site. 
uh-huh. when I raised money for the, yeah, for the yeah, jump. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it just made me think about So my grandfather was a he was a fighter pilot mechanic. And so that made were it just kind of special sitting here because that's what he did. And he was real proud of um, he was actually an auto mechanic, but I think they were desperate for mechanics. Sure. So he learned because everybody was, you know, a lot of people weren't coming back. So they recruited him off the auto lot to come and. He was at Randolph Field in San Antonio. I think it's in San Antonio, if I remember. But I just thought that was – I don't know what kind of plane that is. I should probably figure that out. But it's kind of special to, to sit here. and. Yeah, and I had never been out here before, and I did the tour before we started recording, which is very cool. But then on top of that, you actually can take rides yeah. in some of these planes out here, which is really cool. So – there are, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, looks like six or seven planes that they will let you fly in out here. So, again, more information, cavflight.org or 972-380-8800. And we'll have links to everything we've talked about in the show description here. Before we get to the speed round, anything else you guys want to talk about or promote or let the listeners know any action steps they should take? Well, action step number one is go to birdseyeviewproject.org and learn about what we do and study those charities. Like I said in the beginning, you could be that conduit to helping a veteran or first responder that's struggling get the appropriate treatment they need just by knowing the organizations. Know what's in your area and what's outside of your area. Just like the rule of thumb and shooting, you know what's your target and what's behind it. Same thing here. Know the charities that exist out there so you can direct somebody instead of saying, you know, I hope you do well in life. Now you've got an avenue or a resource for them. It just could change your life. So understand the charities. And two, get involved with what we're doing. Keep looking at the birdseyeviewproject.org website because we have events that we host and we want you to come. We want as many people to come to our events. We film our events so that we can capture the moment, capture the spirit, and then tell the story of those specific charities so you can learn more. We like to bring communities together through this, and that's a big deal. Community involvement's everything. So, yes, we always need funding, and we are grateful for any donation that you could support us on. Two, we definitely need to learn about other charities we don't know about. Let's cover down on as many as we can over the next 20, 30 years. Let's continue to help organizations year after year. Um, And the third part, just let us know if there's somebody struggling because we are a resource, and we can direct them to the appropriate place. Yeah, concerning the charity, I love – is an investor, it's the maximum investment, right? I get to go through one charity but get exposure to, to eight others total. So it's brilliant. And vetting charities is an issue. Our CrossFit gym hosts Murph on December 24th every year, which you came to, and we usually give the money to a cause. I gave the money three years ago because I didn't know any better to a very large Warriors project that, I come to find out I don't think was being a great steward of the money. And so I'm comfortable giving you all the money knowing that it's going to charities that have been heavily vetted that are doing the right thing. That's right. right. When I learned that some charities spending 75 cents on the dollar on executive management and, resor- and retreats, that doesn't get me so excited, right? So it's important to know that your money's safe when you give it to them. Verge Eye View Project, number one. Number two, Really, you don't have to do all the research because it's hard to say which 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 charities are making are making an impact, and you guys have done that for. In my case, I do that with funds that we look at for our client. For you, you do it with charities. It's really similar. Yeah. So it's a conduit for your assets to do the right thing without you having to kill yourself over vetting a bunch of charities. I'm glad that people are taking more, you know, 
more of an interest in understanding the back end of a charity, understanding where the money's going and asking the questions. It's important uh, because it will weed out the week really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get down to business, which is where we should have started with and finished with. What is the business? Let's just do it. If it's for amputation, burns, um, mm-hmm. just injured men and women from the service to for, you know, first responder community, let's get after it, attack the problem, and fix the problem. That's all we are concerned with. Everything else is our normal life that we can have fun with. But when we get involved to help others, we got to put ourselves aside for that split second and just attack the problem head on. And speaking of the events you talked about and that you filmed them, you filmed the bomb squad, correct? That's right, yeah. We named it the bomb squad because the girls were the bombshells, but the bomb squad is pretty cool. You know, it's bomb, bombardiers or bomb squad back in the day in World War II. We love that custom or that old school theme. Um, and so when we do events, we split it off into girls and guys so that girls can have fun with their each other. And we don't ask a girl to do something that she doesn't want to do and then vice versa for the guys, you know, want to touch on things that are on their bucket list. But they coincide with each other quite well, and then they compete. You know, the girls call the guys out, guys call the girls out, and then they always one up, and that just it's all in the name of charity. So no matter what, at the end of the day, we all win. And very soon you'll be able to see Wayne in a very vulnerable state up in the air. Correct. <laughs> in my custom jumpsuit, I might say that that was worth the jump alone. There you go. We Yeah, we got custom jumpsuits. I've been wearing it around the house. My wife says, you know, it's enough. <laughs> it's like a giant onesie. Now. Yeah. It's good for bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and one more plug for birdseyeviewproject.org. One thing you forgot, too, is you've got swag there. So oh, I'm, awesome I'm wearing swag. my bird's eye view swag. And speaking of swag, thank you guys for being on the show today. All right. There's a T-shirt you. for you, so thank you for being here. And then why don't we wrap up just talking about Dallas. So each of you, if you have a friend or relative coming in from out of town, where would you tell them to go in Dallas? I can I mean, I can answer it very quickly. I would take them to State Fair, Texas, and okay. I'd take them to Texas OU game. And you're going to experience nothing like you ever have in Dallas, I, I, anywhere. The, the fair is probably my favorite thing on the planet, and Texas OU is effectively like Christmas for me. And not just because I'm a Texas fan. I talked to a friend last year, and he just was enamored. The town's on fire. And the fair is unique. Not, not many cities, I mean, think about having massive fairground built and the infrastructure of the city. And then I'd probably take them to Clyde Warren Park on the other side to see that how progressive the city is, that we've choked our downtown with highways and we're now covering it with parks. Ultimately, that park could be as large as Central Park or some of the other larger parks, right? So I'd say Clyde Warren Park and Fair Park and probably the Texas OU game. And, and of course, we need Texas to win, and then it gets even better. <laughs> There goes half our audience. Right. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Birdman? You know, there's a lot of places. I obviously would say from the extreme sports side of me, you got to go to Skydive's Baseland, Dallas, and check it out. I mean, they own multiple locations, I believe four, um, two in Texas, one Houston, one Dallas, Florida, and Georgia. Um, So if you're in the extreme sports world, it's just a world-class facility going to Skydive Dallas, uh, Skydive's Baseland, Dallas. Um, But more on the just sightseeing you know, there's an m- unbelievable amount of things. First, I'd go to Benchmark Bank because Thank the you. people there are just ridiculously <laughs> incredible. They are good human beings. And when I first moved to Dallas, the first person I met was Mike Barnett, who is the owner of Benchmark Bank. Correct. Right? Correct. And so he just took me under his wing, and then I met a lot of his team. And they care about the community more than I've ever seen in any company. So I'm not kidding. I would go there because they're really, really cool people. And they're hip. They're not a bank that just sits there and says, may I take your money, please? <laughs> they are hip. They're really cool. <laughs> and they do so much. And it's an incredible group. 
Secondly, Thank I would you. go to the President Bush Library. I mean, that's a really cool setup. I mean, George Bush lives here in Dallas, and that's a really cool thing to have our president here. Um, I never get to see him, but I know just knowing that he's here is really cool. And then, you know, thirdly, the barbecue out here is killer. You know, so <laughs> everywhere I used to live in San Diego and it was all about the Mexican food, and now coming here, it's like, wow, this barbecue is insane. Um, and then check out this new cool place called The Rustic. It's a really, really cool place. It's got Very live cool. music and entertainment. And then if you want to really get into your super deep roots of country, you got to go to Billy Bob's. Right? Yeah. Fair statement. Yeah. There you go. Nicely done. Well-rounded. All right. Well, let's get to the speed round and get out of here. Rapid fire, it's basically just either or. So Birdman, beach or mountain vacation? Mountain vacation. Wayne, Tex-Mex or barbecue? Barbecue. Birdman, wingsuit or birthday suit? Oh, hard one. Oh, is he alone or? <laughs> wingsuit. Wayne, horns or Scots? Ooh, gosh. I, I, you can't do that to me. But I'd probably, say, point. I'd probably say horns. All right, we'll close out. Birdman, bomb squad or bomb shells? How are you going to put me in that position? <laughs> Bird's eye view project. <laughs> I love it. Hey, well, Ryan, thank you very much, not only for your time today, but for your service. And best of luck just continuing to raise awareness for veterans and first responders. And Wayne, thank you for your time today and your service with Bird's eye view project. And just appreciate both you guys being here on BYO Dallas. Yeah, thank you. We greatly yeah. appreciate you giving yeah. us the opportunity. You're awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to BYO Dallas. Subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and find us socially on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send feedback and show ideas to drew at byodallas.com. BYO Dallas is a DH1 podcast production. For other fun shows, check us out at dh1podcasts.com. Music courtesy of Dallas's own Old 97s. See you next time on BYO Dallas. Big black heart of the Lone Star State If you are a good old boy